Now is the time for all the people who have thought, I should start something community-based within black and brown communities that center us. Now is the time for us to center ourselves and our children and our stories so that when we look out, we're the standard. You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. I am Akila S. Richards. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Fear of the Free Child podcast, where we focus on the voices, the needs, the narratives, the love, the community of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in self-directed education. I think I don't say that enough because the first two seasons, maybe the first three had all the intros and things. And now I'm like, let's just get to it. Let's get to shit. Let's go. But um, I'll do a better job because I know there are a lot of new folks in the mix. Thank you for coming through, for listening. Welcome. And for my longtime writers, you know, I love you. Thank you for being here as well. All y'all, whether you have left a comment on one of the show notes pages, whether you've left a review on iTunes, which is such a great way to support this podcast, by the way, y'all, I'm going to put that link in my Instagram. Also, if I haven't in my Instagram bio, where you can just click that and go straight to where you can leave a review or whether you've been rocking with me on Patreon for some time, shout out to you there. Or whether you're just sharing this podcast with people because you feel like it is a useful way for us to look at living and learning in ways that are more about liberation and love and less about coercion and proximity to whiteness. Thank you for being here. And this week, as usual, it's such a good episode. Leslie Bray, who's been on the podcast before, I will put the link to her previous episode, raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 110. So be sure to check that out. There's also a brand new website. Shout out to Chris, my partner, longtime writer, who created a new website. And it is a lot more interactive. It's going to offer a lot more opportunities for us to really farm the resources that are coming up as a result of us being in community together over here on Fear of the Free Child. So check that out, RaisingFreePeople.com. Anywho, Leslie has been a part of our community for some time and even longer than that because this podcast is almost three years old. But Leslie has been a part of Atlanta's community of people focused on loving, liberation minded relationships with their children and families forever. She is the founder of Kid Cultivators. It's a homeschooling and unschooling collective. So it's not a cooperative. I don't think that it is a registered nonprofit. I don't know. Listen back to the last episode, which I didn't get a chance to do, to hear a little bit about the foundations of Kid Cultivators. But what Leslie is doing in this episode, as part of the Parent Founder series, is just talking to us about some of the nuances, some of the logistics, and some of the emotional and spiritual aspects of founding a space of getting together with other members of your community and saying, yeah, we need something different than what we've seen. Let's put it together ourselves. Leslie's going to talk about how that happened. So you will hear a bit about the origins of kid cultivators here. One of the things that I really, really appreciate about this particular share from Leslie is that 
she addresses real subtle, and we'll tease that out together, y'all, really subtly, she talked about partnership-centered parenting. She really gave some clarity around it, let me tell it. I think it's important for us to hear that because you'll hear as you listen to this that Leslie says that she put her daughter in a new environment for some new experiences. And I want to point out that that is partner-centered. That is consensual because her daughter trusts her to invite her into experiences. And Leslie trusts her daughter's feedback not to push past a no, to respect the boundaries or respect the no, as Marley says all the time, to honor that. I want us to recognize that that is partnership. When we think about unschooling or other forms of self-directed education, we often think about it, I think, from a perspective that is like more what we see in white communities, where there's this sense of like sacrificing yourself and your self-respect for the freedom of a child so that a child feels like they're not being oppressed or they feel free. We don't get down like that. Because partnership is not about one person feeling oppressed and the other person feeling like they're free to do or say whatever to whomever. And I think that, and it's obviously not in all cases, but my experiences and many of our experiences of other Black, Indigenous, and people of color that I've spoken to start out from this space of like the white perspective of unschooling, which is like your kids are doing whatever because they want to feel free. And then eventually the hope is that there's so much love and freedom that they will come to respect you. And I don't know how that works. I don't know what the results look like, but I know that what it looks like in its existing form or in its day-to-day form ain't for everybody and it ain't for us. I think it was really important that Leslie said that she put her daughter in a new environment for some new experiences. She organized that. And a part of why that is absolutely liberation-minded, love-centered partnership is because Leslie would respect her daughter's no. If her daughter said, I actually don't want to do this anymore, then they would have that conversation. So it's a trust-based thing. They trust us and we trust them. We see their pushback as guidance, not troublemaking. We honor our gut feelings and we respect when they tell us no. Both of those. We push for our perspectives and we will tell them why. I do that all the time with my girls. We see their adamance and we recognize that as an opportunity to pivot towards something different. I got there eventually. Okay. I didn't start out there. (laughs) And it is still sometimes difficult, but I really want us to think about that. The reality that we can honor our gut feelings as parents and we can respect when they tell us no. That is partnership. It's not just waiting around to see what they're into and be like, okay, it's active in ways that call for just observation without butting in. And it also sometimes calls for stepping in with ideas and guidance and suggestions. I want you to pay really, really close attention to that and put that all through your body and your mind and think about it, okay? Leslie also speaks past logistics in this episode and into some of the mindset work that prevents harm instead of seeking healing. (sighs) Did you hear me? (laughs) Prevents harm instead of seeking healing. That gave me the pre-cry nose burn. I'm trying not to cry because... I think that for BIPOC folks, there's so much survival in our lives today and also in our like genetic code. Our people have been so beautifully brilliant 
at surviving. And so we often view things from that perspective, but now we are shifting over into a thrive mindset. And a part of that is doing this sort of work, doing raising free people work as a means of preventing harm and not just healing something that already happened. You see me? You get that? Important. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to amplify Leslie's wisdom and just her love-centered approach to organizing around learning and raising free people. So I want you to get you a cup of something warm and nice because this is going to feel like somebody's great grand somebody speaking all through a woman in her 30s, 40s. I don't know what age group was this in actually. Hmm. <laughs> but she sound old as hell in the best way possible in this episode. It's like great, great grand something wisdom. Truly, truly. Come on, Leslie, come through with the wisdom. The question that you asked was, who am I? And that's a really good question. I am still becoming. And so every year I learn something new through new experiences and I try to do my best to better myself. I guess I've always been the same person at my core, but seeing how that plays out. Yeah, I'm still becoming. So that's a great thing. Just a little bit of background of how I got started into homeschooling. I am a trained educator and I spent about 10 years in the public school and private school settings as a teacher. I primarily taught second and third grade ages, but I have done pre-K all the way up to high school. And I do love the second grade age, the seven-year-olds turning eight, right before we kill their spirit in school, but that's a different conversation. Homeschooling showed up on my radar when I came home to start my family. And after seeing my beautiful firstborn and realizing that I didn't want to hand her off to anyone else, I started exploring some other options. And that's when I found out, oh, I have family members that do this. And thus the whole journey of figuring out what homeschooling was going to look like. I did a lot of reading books, reading blogs, figuring out what is homeschool going to look like for me? Because, of course, coming from a very traditional education mindset of, oh, it's school. It's a workbook. It's a book. I teach you this. You learn this. We just do it at home. That's where my mind went first, because that's what I knew. But as, again, just from experiencing and talking to other people and seeing, hey, someone else is doing this differently. I think I stumbled upon your unschooling blog then. And so reading your experiences and wow, that's different. Meeting other people who had different philosophies of just how do we educate our children and being open to learning and growing. I think my daughter helped me explore something other because she initially liked the playing of school that I now call what we did. She loved carrying a little workbook and having a little backpack and the whole idea of school was fun for her. And so it was easy to get attached to that whole thing. And as I got to more direct 
learning with her as she got a little bit older. So I would say maybe she was about six or seven. And it's, yeah, you should be reading now. You should be doing this now. She didn't want to. And she fought me tooth and nail. And that was just an eye-opening experience for me because I felt, well, I'm not only a teacher, I'm a reading specialist and I help every child read and why can't I get my own child to do it? And it's going to make me look. And of course, it became about me wanting to be able to prove that I can teach my own child. And she was not having it. She had her own mind about her even then. And so I fought with her for maybe like two or three years. Oh, my goodness. And it was stressful. And I know I felt bad and then I felt embarrassed because people were like, well, how old is she? She's not reading yet. The judgment of others. And then one day, I think she was going on nine and she just picked up a book one day from the library because we still did all the things you're supposed to do. We take them to the library, we read, we're singing, we're talking, we're doing all the things. And then she sat down and her first book was a whole big old chapter book and she just started reading. And later, on. I talked to her about it, just trying to get a sense of, so how did this happen? And in listening to what she explained, she was basically afraid that if she started reading all those years ago when I was trying to force her to, that I would stop reading to her. And I was like, what? Like, why did you think that? Why didn't you say that? Well, she didn't know how to communicate that then, obviously. And maybe if she had, I wouldn't have been, I don't know. But it, it all came together. And that's when I realized, yeah, I'm not doing this with my other two. I wanted their experience of learning to be something that they desired. And so that became a turning point in just trying to figure out what is homeschooling really going to look like for us? Because the traditional model of school is promoted as fun in movies and on the screen and school looks like fun. but the truth is, I don't know how much fun kids are actually having, let alone teachers. So there's that. So that put me in a more open-minded space of, let's try something else. And then my other two, I have another daughter and a son. I chose to let them let me know when they were ready. And just by observing them, laying all the foundations that I know as an educator and even the intuitions we have as parents, putting them in the right spaces. So that growth, just the growth of my idea of what homeschooling and education looks like to now gives a good picture of just who I am. I'm open to learning new things, even when initially it's, no, wait a second, this goes against what I thought, or this doesn't jive with what I believe. And I do an extensive amount of learning, and that's who I am at my core. I'm a reluctant leader. I say it that way because I'm definitely a leader, but I would rather support somebody else. If you're doing it, I'd rather come and join you and even help you. So starting a space was not something that was initially in my mind. When I was at home with my eldest, 
coming from working every day in a classroom and having interaction there with people on a regular basis and realizing, okay, I'm an at-home mom now. Let me find the other mommies that are doing that. And I remember going to just joining in with a lot of, there were mocha moms. There were a lot of different groups in Atlanta that I started checking out and seeing where do I fit in. And while I can fit in by myself in spaces, as a new mother, I was then thinking about, well, this isn't just a space for me. This is going to be a space for my children. And what kind of things do I really want them to be exposed to or not exposed to? And I guess the same kind of questions and considerations one would make for a school environment or any other environment for your children. I'm looking at the whole of our family as opposed to just, okay, I can vibe with these people or I can ignore that. That doesn't have to be a big deal for me versus is this the type of interaction I want my children involved in? And so it took a while to find that space. And then when I did, it was a wonderful space. It was a Black stay-at-home moms group, which that became very important to me to be with Black people so that my children can see we're not the only ones enjoying our time at home. There are people that look just like us that are at home with their own children. And in joining that particular group, I remember the first activity we went to was a trip to the zoo. And those women were so welcoming. I had never been to a space where everyone was welcoming. That's a big deal. And I'm sure anytime you're looking to feel that, yeah, we can be here. We can be who we are here. We don't have to pretend to be something else. So that was what I received from the women that I initially met. It was, come on. Yes. They were looking for us. They had the RSVP list. They knew me by name. Once I said, oh yes, you're Leslie. Come on in. They just welcomed us in. And then all of us that were new, they were quick to introduce people. So you didn't feel just, I'm this new person that's joining a group that's already been. So I really appreciated that. And in so doing, I continued to go. I got to know them. We started doing more talking about, okay, we have toddlers now. What are we going to do for school? Who's putting their kids here? Who's going to stay at home all the time? Like So all those conversations came up. And of course, in talking, you find out there are some people who are interested in homeschooling. And I was already thinking about that. And so finding more mothers that were thinking about that, one of them was like, well, can you help us? Like, you have a lot of information already. Will you help us? And I was like, yes, I can help y'all. Let's do this. And so I remember I put on a little mini workshop one park day that we had. And I pulled together a whole lot of resources that I had already been pulling together for myself. And I just, I shared it. And the excitement around that, the encouragement we all received around that, knowing that, hey, you don't have to homeschool the whole time. We can do it. Most of us had decided, okay, we're going to homeschool until third grade. We're giving them all the basics. We're giving them all the foundation. And then we'll try school out. And so from that point, The leader of the space asked me, hey, Leslie, will you lead the homeschool space within our group? Yep, I can do that. And so 
that's what I did. I was the go-to person. I shared information all the time. We always talked about stuff. If there was a new book out or an article, whatever was happening, I shared it. And then maybe a year after that, the ladies who were leading the space, their life changed. And so they had to make different choices and they ended up letting me know, yeah, we're going back to work. Our kids are going to school now. We're closing the group. And that's when it was kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? Because they asked me, do you want to keep doing this? I started toying with the idea of, okay, do I start a homeschool group or do I just let this be? And we just be organic families that get together because We've developed enough relationship where we like doing field trips together. We like hanging out at the park together. And so, yeah, I started exploring that idea just by talking to people who I was already connecting with. And there was one particular pivotal conversation I had with a mother. I asked, or no, I kind of just said to her, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a homeschool group for us. And she whipped around and she said, why on earth would you do that? And that really took me off guard. And I had to pause for a minute. And I said, because we need one. There's not one in the city of Atlanta. There are plenty of homeschool groups around, but they really don't cater to our needs. They're not really welcoming to all of us. And I think that's the space that I want. So I'm going to create it. And like they say, the rest is history. Well, it's <laughs> it wasn't just as simple as that. But I talked to some more people about it and got the support of, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. There was a another group outside of the city that I reached out and connected with. There were some older black women who were coming to the end of their homeschooling journey. And they had been doing it just a few families for several years. I asked them to come and share their wisdom with me and the families who were interested. And they did. We met up at the library and they came and we set it up like a workshop, but they answered our questions. They shared information. They had resources that if you want to use this, we're giving away this. It was a beautiful thing. And so that's what started the Kid Cultivators Homeschooling Community. And it started simple. It started at the end of a library story time at a library, and we've just kind of grown it from there. So I'm going to get into a little bit of just some things to consider when starting a space, because I want to encourage. I've always, when I've talked to people before, I always encourage folks, start a space. There's never going to be a right time. I mean, it's true. The right time is now. There are some things you can do to help yourself be more prepared or more ready. But I believe now is the time for all the people who have thought, I should start something community-based within black and brown communities that center us. I was out last night with my husband picking up our eldest from a teen event she went to and we were in the car waiting for her and a family came out and there was just something about them and my husband started laughing he was like yeah I didn't expect that the way they were looking around I said oh they're homeschoolers and he said why would you say that and I was just like because like I can see a homeschooler 
And he started laughing because he thought that that was just the best thing in that you think everyone's a homeschooler because you have centered yourself enough where that's what you think everybody else is. And so I believe now is the time for us to center ourselves and our children and our stories so that when we look out, we're the standard. I think that that's one of the beautiful things I've been able to give my children through all of the experiences is centering yourself. You are the standard. So with that said, if you're thinking about starting a space, start imagining what it's going to be, who's going to come and start calling those people up. Like literally, if you pray, if you meditate, if you speak, whatever it is, the way that you connect to spirit, call those people up because those people are waiting for you. They are waiting for you. Community organizing is deeply personal work. And so you have to have a sense about who you are. It's definitely going to teach you more things about who you are. You have to be willing to show up as yourself. I have learned over the last 11 years of doing this, that people don't believe you right off. There's a lot of things that I don't know if it's the myth or if it's just the stories that we tell ourselves. But while we want to be trusting and we believe people, we don't believe each other. And there are things I have been saying for years that the people around me are just now believing like, oh, you really mean that. Yeah, that's, I've been saying it. I've been doing my best to live it. I learn how to live it better every day. But these things are true. So this is deeply personal work. And so you have to be ready to do some personal work with yourself. Own up to your stuff. Show up as yourself, even when those moments become challenging. So some practical things. How do you get started? My suggestion is find something to do regularly. It can be as simple as we're going to go to the park every Monday at 11 a.m. And we're going to hang out for an hour and we're going to let the kids play and we're going to sit down and get to know each other. We're going to talk about the weather. We'll talk about some superficial icebreaker kind of getting comfortable with people and then go deeper. Ask the more thought provoking questions. Risk sharing yourself. Just get to know people. Another thing that I did initially as an actual activity that was outside of myself, sometimes it's easy to go to another programming so that the programming feeling of what well, we're doing this doesn't have to be on your shoulders. So like a library story time or bookstores do story time or the local botanical gardens is going to do a talk on insects. So there's an actual activity you can go to and engage in, and that gives you something to talk about. But always taking an hour beyond whatever the activity to hang out. It gives you time to start the beginnings of relationship. Another thing I deeply suggest and strongly suggest is reading and discussing things as a group. So whether your group is just one or two, three families, or if you have maybe six, seven or eight families, 
as parents, you want to start exploring some of your values together, some of your ideas together. This helps you get to know each other. There are things that we all are passionate about. That's the great thing about homeschooling, unschooling. Most of us are very passionate about things. And so hearing what other people are passionate about, sometimes it's exactly the same thing that you are. Sometimes it's not, and it's something completely other. But giving the space, making the space to hear from everybody, whether you agree or not, it gives the space ownership of everyone there and not just the ones who are talking all the time. And so finding a way to hear everyone's voice, that can be a challenge initially, especially when we show up as our representatives, as the people we want to be, as opposed to the people we are. And so finding informal ways to let people feel safe, let people feel comfortable, setting the boundaries for the space. So figuring out what is this group going to be? Are we here because we want to support each other through parenting and all the different ways people show up to parent? Or are you looking for specifically a niche of, I want to create a space for parenting that looks like, insert your description there. You want to think about that. Even if you tweak it, even if it becomes something else as you engage other people, you at least want to have a starting point so that the people you're looking for can find you. The more specific you can be without boxing yourself in, I think the better. Also, as you set the boundaries for the space, you want to protect your space. You want to know that if this is a safe space for black and brown people, while everyone may be welcome here, you have to be for black and brown people. You have to want to see us win. And if that's not something everybody here can commit to, then people can self-select before coming to your space or then they, they can see that, oh, yeah, this doesn't go with my values because like does attract like. And I'll go back to what I said before. You want to be who you are. We all are seeking authenticity. I truly believe that. I think people are in, they're on different paths in their own individual journey, but I think we are all looking for authenticity. And so we are all drawn to that. But just because someone's drawn to your space does not mean that's their space. And so that's where those of you beginning the space have to figure out what does that look like? What is that going to be? How are we going to hold this space? And then how are we going to protect it so it doesn't become what we do not want? Because if you don't protect it, it can become something other that then negatively impacts you, your children, and everyone else involved, whether they fully understand that or not. I would definitely encourage the starting small. In the grand scheme of where we are with mega churches and social media followings and the amount of followers you have, the amount of likes you have, that large numbers are what seem to be the thing people strive for. But if you're trying to create and cultivate 
an authentic, safe space for black and brown people, you have to start small. Even if you're going to grow to be something larger, you want to start small enough so that everyone who joins, everyone who becomes a part of it has the opportunity to understand what it is and can commit to that vision of what that is. And so definitely starting small gives you the opportunity to really get to know everyone there and your children get to know everyone there and their children. And it's not just, hey, great to see you. I can call you by name. Hey, Akila, how are you? I've missed you. How's this going? Being able to know people for who they are and accept them is like the greatest gift in life. And then if you can have that in a space where you're learning about how best to raise free people, that's a journey in and of itself. There's so many layers of figuring out who you are and then who your children are and then how are we going to be a family and how do we show up in community space and how do we prepare them for the world and to deal with other people. There's so many conversations to have. There are definitely conversations around what are you doing for reading or how are you going to figure out how do they learn how to do math if I'm not doing it a traditional way. And for those people who choose to do a traditional way, how do we make room for someone who is doing it differently? All those conversations that can come up. The one thing that I've been talking about lately and just experiencing with my own growth is getting out of the way, getting my expectations, my hopes, my dreams for my children don't need to become the dead weights around their neck that kill off what they're here to do and be. And again, every so many months I'm learning something new. I have to shift myself again. I have to push them up front to say, no, 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 this is your time. This is your life. What do I need to do to help you or support you? And that definitely is easier to do with a community of people who you can talk to about it. You can figure it out with them. So creating a space that allows for everyone to feel comfortable in doing that. Another thing to consider is it takes time. Like relationship building takes time. And with each person being the individual that they are, different people need different amounts of time to be able to trust a space. So an example, I was talking to my eldest about this because I've put her in a new space just for some new experiences. I told her, as your parent, I can see further down the road than you can. And while this may not be a forever space that you're choosing, I want to offer you a space that to me looks like a good fit for you. But of course, giving her the Try it out and see. This may be, I may be completely wrong. But then having her pay attention to how many interactions with this new group do you need to have before you show up as yourself. And one of the things she shared was comfortability with people for her shows up when she's able to eat and not think about somebody watching her eat. I'm tickled that she already knows what her thing is. But she figured out, mommy, it takes me five times with a new group of people before I'm comfortable to eat. I shared with her, it takes me about three times with a new group of people to feel comfortable. And so knowing that about yourself, about your children, and then knowing that 
Other people are going to have their how many times does it take? How many times does it take? So knowing those things to be true and necessary, you want to take enough time so everybody gets to the same comfortability space, the comfortable, the being able to take off that mask or that facade or to let their rep stay at home and they're going to come themselves. That's the space you want to get to. And so knowing that it, it takes the time. And I guess the last thing I will leave about that is relationship building is messy and challenging and intimate. And so knowing that there's going to be disappointment, there's going to be hurt feelings, there's going to be just sadness sometimes. Because sometimes you want something for somebody else and they don't want it. Or sometimes somebody else wants something for you and you don't want it. And so knowing that the evolution of any space has comings and goings, being able to know that the people that you start something with may not be the people that you're continuing to do it with or that you're ending it with. And seeing the beauty in that too, allowing the good that somebody can bring to the space to last beyond their time in your space and being able to part well. One of the things that I learned a couple of years ago from just another encounter was saying goodbye does not always mean the end or it has to be ugly or people have to be mad or hurt. It can be a beautiful letting go and letting the other person continue on in their journey as well as you continuing on in your own. So yeah, just looking at those things, those are definitely some of the high points that I would have wished someone had shared with me to begin with. Some things you kind of intuitively know and you may not have words for. And so you develop the language around it. So I've definitely developed some language around experiencing some of those things. A bonus tip would just be don't shy away from difficulty. There's a saying, and I don't know who said it first, iron sharpens iron. If you've ever rubbed like two rocks together or sticks together, anything that's sharpening, if you think about what it's doing, it's not pleasant. It's really not the cutting away of something that can hurt. And sometimes it hurts deeply. Sometimes it's a surprise. Like you didn't expect that to take you out like that. So the, the encouragement I would give to people who are already organizing, already doing it and experiencing the loss of maybe the vision that you thought or the people you thought would be with you now or any of those things. Iron does sharpen iron and giving yourself time to grieve losses. I think we skip over that a lot is important in community building and growing as well as wishing each other well. The goodness that we had hoped together, we had goodness. Yeah, it was for a season. And being gracious enough to extend the good that was created together as you part actually puts more goodness into your space and people's journey. 
All right. Be well. Much love. The show notes page, once again, for Leslie's episode is raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 110. You can also leave comments on the show notes page now, which I love. So go ahead and do that though. (laughs) Also, I want to shout out my Patreon community because I'm going to do that every week. We are about to get so hype over there since my Wi-Fi life is back to something more steady than all the load-shedding things that were happening in our little part of Joburg most of the time. But yeah, next week is the medley episode of the Parenting Foundner series. So it's going to be a collaboration of insights, essays, and just good shit connected to the work. So be sure to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode using your favorite podcast player. And I love you for listening. Chat to you next week.